It's weird when I forget to turn the microphone on before I pick this up. I have to walk all the way over and I can't say anything. And it feels weird. (laughs) Oh, it's good to see you all again. Happy Sunday. I'm so glad that the snow decided to disobey the the forecasters that I heard yesterday. Um, I think yesterday afternoon I, I heard something about we were supposed to, it was like the forecast I heard was exactly the same thing as last week. It was, you know, we're going to get four inches at night and then another four during the day. I was like, oh, come on. Let's pick another day. <laughs> but we're here and it's a beautiful day out. So uh, I'm super excited to, to, to share our, our, the word and get into our, our series again. Pastor Tori did mention we are starting uh, our, our community-wide fast um, this, this week, 21 days. I'm super excited, and we'll be talking a little bit more about that uh, as, as we go on today. Um, if, if you haven't, haven't heard about that, um, or, or this is the first time you've heard, you can, um, if you go to christianassembly.com slash fast, there's, there's uh, this week's devotionals on there. There's also uh, a guide on there to help you understand if you've never done a fast or, or just want some more information on, on how, to, how to do a fast. Um, so you can find those, those resources there. We're continuing today in our series called Reclaimed. We're talking about identities and, and what, uh, what our identity in Christ truly means. Identity is, is, is an interesting thing. Um, I think we, 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 tend to, we tend to think of identity uh, as, as, as something core, but when we go to name identities, when we go to decide what our identity really is or, or, or what we use to, to describe our identity, a lot of times we end up using more superficial uh, Superficial things. Our identity is is our, our, our work. Our identity is is uh, maybe our family situation or our, our, our position in our family. We're a, you know a mom or a son or or, or whatever. And these are all these are all important parts of our life. But as we'll look at and we talked about last week, these are not what our true identity is. Last week we mentioned that there are are two different kind of identities that we have. There's a functional identity. There's the things that we believe are the most important and the most true about us. And those are the things that we live out in that in our day-to-day life. But there's a second kind of identity, and that is our kingdom identity. It's, it's what God says is most important and most true about you. And last week we mentioned how the, the key to transformation, the key to, to becoming more like Jesus is when our um, kingdom identity takes over or our, uh, our functional identity comes in line with our kingdom identity. And um, we're going to look at exactly how that happens more in, in, uh, in the next two or three weeks. When we come to Christ, we are given this new identity, this kingdom identity. It's a, it's a new identity. It's not a fix of the old one. We talked about last week, we used the illustration of a plant, how, how our identity, if, if, if a plant is who we are and our identity is the roots, you will never get a different kind of plant, a different kind of life with the same root. And so God gives us, Jesus through his work on the cross, gives us, makes us new creations, gives us new roots. 
So for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking at those different roots that the Lord wants to instill in us to change our functional identity so that we look like we're supposed to look, so that we start to look like the kingdom identity, like the things that he says that we are. But to align uh, these two identities, to become this new kingdom person, uh, we have to understand how we receive this new identity. How do we go from one to the other? And, and for us as, as Western Americans, it, we need to spell it, spend extra attention on it because it's not something that we, um, the, the way it happens is not something that we typically see in our culture or at least value in our culture. Because it's an old school system. We, we in America, we love the, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, self-made man sort of mentality, right? That, that we're going to, we can do, that's who we look up to. That's who we all aspire to be, the rags, the riches story, right? But the system, the way that we go from our functional identity to a true kingdom identity is not that way. It's by understanding that the way it happens is actually through an old school system called nepotism. You guys, have, we've all heard that word, right? Nepotism. And, and in our culture, you say nepotism and people go, ooh, right? We think of like the, you know, the, the boss's idiot son that got the job that messes everything up, you know, and everybody's always mad at him because he just got the job because he's the boss's son. Um, that's, that's what we think of nepotism. But the reality is nepotism is, is, is this keeping... It's this, the idea is, is accurate, keeping things in the family, being put in a position based on who, who you are, not what you are, right? It, it's, it's because of who you're, you're related to, you get this position or you get this privilege or you get this thing. And, and we don't really like that. We, we try and, as Americans, we try and, you know, avoid that at all costs or even being seen as being associated with that. But in the first century, when... when um, when the New Testament was written, that was the system. That's the way things worked. Your dad was a carpenter. You were a carpenter. You were a, if, 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 uh, a you know, a, there was no elections. You didn't get elected to this post or that post. It was all familial. It was, it was, nepo, it was nepotism. It was, it was, you were replaced by your own family. Now, we can, we can debate whether that's a good system or, or not, but that, that is, the, at least in the, uh, in the earthly realms. But as we'll talk, you'll see today, this is the system by which we accept our new identity. And it's the key to living out of this new identity. You and I have our new identity solely based on who our new father is. And that's it. Accepting this reality is the key. We see an example of this um, in, in probably one of the most famous stories in Scripture. We've mentioned, I think I mentioned it last week. It's the, the, the parable, the, the, the untrue story with a, with a true point that Jesus tells about the prodigal son. I'm sure you've, you've heard this story before where there's a son and he, 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 he has a rich father and he, he asks his father for his share of the inheritance before his father is even dead and the father gives it to him and he goes out and he spends it all you know the story and he and he ends up destitute 
And so eventually he comes back, you know, with his tail between the legs. And his intention is to, to ask, the fa- ask his father if he can just be a hired hand so, so he doesn't starve to death. But it's in the father's response that we see the heart of God and we see how we accept this new identity. Because that's in the story, that's exactly what the father does. He, he reclaims his son to his original identity. And I, it's a perfect picture, I think, when we, if we look at this story of how, how we must receive the core truths in our life that we must accept and make the foundation of how we see the world and how we see God in order to live out of this new identity. How the father goes about reclaiming the son is that picture. Um, and we'll just, we're only going to get to the first one today, and then the next couple weeks we'll look at the other ones. But, but today we're going to look at Luke uh, 15 in verse 20. So the father had, just to catch us up in the story, the, the son's asked for the money, taken the money, blown the money. It's coming back with his tail between his legs to ask for a job, right? Um, And in verse 20, it says, So he, the son, returned to his father. And while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. He saw him coming, why? Because he was looking for him. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And we're not going to get any farther than that today. The first thing that the father does is love the son. This is the first root of our new identity that we must capture. If we don't get this, we can't, they build on each other. We can't get any further. The primary root of our entire life, the main filter of everything that you see, everything that you hear, every decision that you make, every conversation that we have, must learn to come through the reality that you are loved by God. At the core, at the most important truth about you has to become that God loves you. Not that God is nice, not that God loves people, but that God loves you. So to help us embrace this, I want to give us some transformative truths about God's love for you today. That's what we're going to spend our time on because understanding, spending some time thinking about God's love is the only way that it really sinks in and it changes our perspective of it. Because it's, we'll talk a little bit more about this later, because it's not like any other love. But the first thing I want to I mention is that God's love is based on whose you are, not who you are. It's, nepo, it's nepotistic. God's love is based on whose you are, not who you are. You are his by creative right. You are his because he made you. He thought you up. He took time to, to think about every part of you, how, how you were going to, um, what was going to be special about you, what your strengths were going to be, what your weaknesses were going to be. He thought about all of that when he created you. And so by that right, You are his. And if that wasn't enough, we're also his by redemptive right. Not only did he create us and he made us and he has a right to us, 
But even though we fell and we rebelled and we, we backed away and we were broken, he, he sends Jesus. Jesus comes. God comes down in an earth suit and pays again for us on the cross. And not only does he die for us, but he's resurrected, breaking the, the power of the bondage that was going to keep us separated forever. And so he has literally every right to you. God's love is based on whose you are, not whose you are. Not only that, God's love is based on his character, not yours. This is our second truth. God's love for you is based on his character, not yours. Remember last week we, we ended with a, a, a prophecy from the book of Ezekiel where God promises to give us a new heart. It said in um, verse 26, he says, And I, God, will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. That's a, that's a great verse and an amazing promise. But if we look a few verses before that, God is very specific about why he's going to do it. And in Ezekiel, uh, starting in verse 19, we're just going to read this. It's a little bit longer section, but, but it's important that we get this. And, and I think you'll, you'll get where we're going as, as we go through this. Um, it says in verse 19, I, I scattered them to many lands to punish them for the evil that they, that, for the way they had lived. But when they were scattered among the nations, they brought shame to my holy name. For the nation said, these are the people of the Lord, but he couldn't keep them safe in his own land. Then I was concerned for my name, on which my people brought shame among the nations. Therefore... Give the people of Israel this message from the Sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I am doing it to protect my holy name, on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show how holy my great name is, the name which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the Sovereign Lord, then they will know that I am God. Did you get it? God's motivation for loving you is self-contained. This is going to sound a little weird, but God is a very self-absorbed person. Not really a person, but you know what I mean. Now that sounds wrong because since you were right down here, we were taught selfishness is bad. Don't be self-absorbed. Don't be... well. That's true, and we should be teaching our kids that, and we should be focusing on that, because here's a little secret. You're not God. But he is. Just like he has a right to you because he created you, he has a right to be about himself because he is God. It is literally all about him. Because it's literally all his. God's love is based on on that. And that's so important because if it's based on his character, not your character, then your lack of character can't mess it up. And that's a good thing, at least for me. You're start, are you starting to get the picture? That all of these things can be summed up in kind of one big truth. God, God's love is like no other. It's a love like no other. 
It's like apples and oranges. You know, we use that, that, that phrase a lot. It literally is. There's, there's God's love and then there's all the other loves that we've ever known or thought of or looked at or heard about. But we, we forget that sometimes. We treat, if God's love, if God's love is, a, is an apple, you know, and all the other loves that we, we know of are oranges, you can't treat those two, they're both fruit, I guess, but you can't eat them the same way, right? Don't just, you can't just take a big bite out of an orange. <laughs> There's some preparation that needs to go into that, or it's not going to go well for you. We tend to treat it like apples and pears, right? It's like God's love is like a pear. It's like bigger and a little bit different shaped. But it's not. It's, it's completely different. Look, the Bible gives us all of these, these great um, illustrations about God's love, right? Where he's our father and he's the, we're the bride and he's the bridegroom and, um, uh, you know, all, all the rest of them. Uh, he's our friend. He's our king, etc. But these are all just poor, broken, small, little attempts to help us get some idea of what his love is like. They are not his love. God's love is different because it's based on something completely different than any other relationship that, that we know of. And because of that, we can be safe in God's love. We can be safer in his love than in anything else in the universe. We can see that in one of, we can see the, the reality of this in one of the greatest love stories ever written, but it's, it's, not, uh, it's not maybe what we would consider a traditional love story. It's a true story, though. We find it in the Old Testament. It's a, the story of a, of a prophet named Hosea. You may be familiar with it. Hosea was God's spokesman to the people of Israel at a time where they had been rebellious and were serving other gods. And they had been taken in as a result of their rebellion. They had been taken into exile. And God wants to tell the people about his love. And so he enlists Hosea to be a physical representation, a physical embodiment of his love for Israel. And he, and he sends him on a, on a, on a mission. He, he really takes over Hosea's life to be a, a, a living illustration of God's love. So he, Hosea spends the rest of his life living out this, this idea of God's love for his people. And what God sends him to do is... Um, he tells Hosea, and Hosea goes, and he, he, gets mar- he goes and he finds a prostitute named Gomer. And he marries her. And he brings her home. And he, and he makes a life with her. They have kids. He loves her. He pours himself into her. He provides for her. And then one day... Gomer, we don't know, we don't know all, the, all the details or whatever, but we do know one day Gomer decides to abandon her family and go back to her life of prostitution. She goes back to that, that corner that he found her or that brothel where he found her. 
And so Hosea is left with three kids, no wife. And in, in that day, he would have been, um, it would have been such a, a mark on, to, to, to marry a prostitute to begin with would have completely destroyed his reputation. But to ha- then to have that, that same woman leave you to go back to it would have been unthinkable. And that would be a sad story and show a lot of love if that was the end of the story. To be willing to to take a chance to roll the dice on somebody that was so unworthy to begin with. But that's not where the story ends. Because God goes back to Hosea and says, Hosea, my, my love's not done yet, so you're not done yet. I need you to go and do it again. And so Hosea goes out. I can imagine this is a real thing. Like it's a real person that did this. And he goes and he find he has to go find his wife that has abandoned him and his family. Can you imagine going to that that having to walk down to that that part of town where the corners are are busier at night than they are during the day? And go looking. Have you seen have you seen my wife? Have you her name's Gomer. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for her. And so eventually he finds her. And she's, she's back in the life. In fact, she has, she has I mean, for all, lack of a better term, she has a pimp. There's somebody that, that, that has rights to her now. And so Hosea gathers up 15 shekels and some, some wine and some barley. A lot of commentators think the reason, to, I guess the going rate at that time for a transaction like this was, was 30 shekels. And a lot of commentators think that the reason why this what he didn't just pay all in money was because he didn't have it. He literally just ransacked his home for anything he could find of value to scrape together so he could go and, and, and buy her back. So he takes all this stuff and he, he finds her and he goes to, to whoever had rights to her and he, and he, and he negotiates with the guy and he, he buys back that which is his to begin with. And he brings her home again and he loves her again. All of that was God's story of love to you and me. That's the kind of love God has for us. And when, when that love becomes our identity, when we wrap who we are up in that kind of love, there is a security in that that you will find in no other place. Worship team, if you want to come back up, we're going to close in a few minutes. But When that kind of love is, is the, the picture that we have of our God, it does something to us. It it changes our identity, but one of the things it does, as a matter of fact, in, in 1 John, um, the writer says that perfect love casts out all fear. 
When we understand the nature and the power, the, the relentlessness of God's love for us, for you, for me, we become fearless. doesn't mean that, that there isn't pain or, or trials in our life. It doesn't mean that we don't have to, it, it just means that we don't have to walk through those things fearfully. I don't know about, about you, but I, don't, I can't remember another time where fear was such a prevalent everyday enemy. At least, at least in, in my life. Every time you turn on the TV, every time you have a conversation, there's an opportunity to be afraid of something. But when we wrap our identity in God's love, it means that those things don't just automatically, magically disappear, but the fear can. We don't have to be afraid of, of, of man anymore. We don't have to be afraid of, not just of, of man that can, that can harm us, but one of the biggest things, and we're going we're gonna to look at this this week as you do, if you're participating in the, uh, in, in the fast, the, the devotionals, we're going to go through a, a big part of this week. We're going to kind of spend some time meditating and thinking about and praying about fear and, and looking at God's word and God's law and God's scripture about how we eradicate fear and the different kinds of fear with God's love. One of the first ones we're going to look at is the fear of man. A lot of times when we talk about the fear of man, we think about that intimidating, you know, I'm afraid of that person. But in reality, most of us struggle with the fear. We all struggle with the fear of man. But for most of us, it's more about fear of losing man's approval than it is about a bully. But when God's identity, when we wrap our identity in his love, when we understand that that Hosea kind of love, it people's approval becomes a whole lot less important. If the most important truth in my life is whether God loves me, and I know for a fact that he loves me more than I can mess up, then whether you think I'm cool or you think I'm doing a good job or not becomes less important. Not completely insignificant, but it takes it, it then takes its secondary place where it doesn't rule my, my thoughts. I don't have to be defensive. I don't have to, I don't have to guard myself because I'm not at risk. My identity's not at risk. When we when we make our identity God's love for us, nobody has the power to make you feel less than. Nobody, we don't have to crave other people's approval, other people's um, accolades or successes or any of those things to validate who we are. We don't have to be afraid of, of failure because, because the thing that's most important to us isn't riding on whether we succeed or fail. 
We don't have to be afraid of tragedy or death because we know that no matter what comes our way, the one, the one we care about most will still be there with us and for us. God's identity, God's love for us, our identity, is not something that just happens. None of the things that we're going to talk about over these next couple weeks just happen by, by knowing that it is a fact. This isn't, this isn't math, where you just learn that two plus two is four, and then you know it, and that's the end of it. This is, um, this is experiential knowledge not just head knowledge. And the only way for that to happen is to, to take your attention and focus it on this reality until it becomes your reality. Till it becomes your affection. You know what you believe? You believe the things that you spend the most time looking at. It's the way we are as people. why I was I was so so keen on this this particular series being wrapped up in a in a a a week or 21 days of fasting so that we could spend the time during the week reinforcing and reminding and spending time meditating on this reality because this is not this is too big a thing to just have a a one message on and, and 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 hope it makes a change We can start working. We can start today. Today's a good, a good starting point. And so this week we're gonna we're gonna commit ourselves to rolling ourselves in the reality of God's love. Amen. And so to start that off, you know, the word says that we overcome by what? The, the blood of the land, Jesus' work on the cross, his, his life, his death, his resurrection, and by the word of our testimony. And so I want to kick this fast off doing just that, declaring, testifying to the love of God. And so we're going to end our time this morning. If you want to stand, we're going to end our time this morning with a, with a simple song that declares just that. That we, God, we know that you love us. We know it's a love like no other. We know it's a love that's, that's based in who you are, and we thank you for that. And we're dedicating, God, this, this fast, this next 21 days to seeking your heart, to to transformation of our identities so that they would come in line with who you say we are. God, because we give ourselves to you, not that we were, we were yours already, and we just acknowledge, we come in line with that truth, God.